You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Good evening. Thank you for joining us for Done By Law. I'm Meg and I'm here in studio with Tess and Rosie. It's just after 6pm on Tuesday the 13th of April. 2021. Firstly, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting tonight, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This land is stolen land. Sovereignty was never ceded. Further, as this is a legal show, we do acknowledge the continuing oppression and discrimination perpetuated in the name perpetuated against uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in this country in the name of the legal system. And we make that acknowledgement um, in particular this week um, in light of the 30th anniversary of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody and we would like to acknowledge uh, the advocacy and ongoing resilience of First Nations communities in Australia, in particular uh, those families of people who have died in police custody. Joe tonight is an interview with Dr Aliki Vernon, a dispute resolution and restorative justice practitioner. We thought we would engage with Aliki for a discussion because there's been a lot of talk in the media about the rule of law and so-called upholding procedures of justice. And we're wanting to talk to Dr Aliki about some alternatives to the our criminal justice system that is somewhat adversarial in in practice. So her Dr. Aliki Vernon is very um, has high expertise, has led her to provide training to restorative justice conferences, conveners in Victoria, interstate internationally, and we talked to her about the Australian Association for Restorative Justice, the role of restorative conferences in the justice system, and what makes a good convener. Welcome to Dunbar Law Aliki. Uh, you're the co-founder and vice president of the Australian Association for Restorative Justice, a model for restoring right relations across the spectrum of conflict. What does ARJ do and who do you support? Ah, well, ARJ, well, hello and thank you for um, <laughs> um, having me on your show. But uh, ARJ, so the Australian Association for Restorative Justice, is a professional association so of individuals and organisations working across restorative justice and restorative practices, and it promotes effective decision-making, if you like, conflict management, to restore, as you said, right relations and justice systems and in other community areas such as education, work and residential communities. And, you know, we say on the website, really, indeed, wherever people are seeking fairer, safer ways to heal harm and promote individual and community well-being. 
So the association works to support regional restorative practice networks like the Central Victorian Restorative Practice Alliance um, that some of you are aware of already. And it, it, when we became uh, the Australian Association, we're also working with supporting state chapters. And that involves, you know, supporting um, people, organisation groups, established community of practices and ARD also hosts those um, across states as well as with our New Zealand colleagues too, so that we can really advance, evolve restorative practice skills, um, promote restorative practices in, in a range of different professions. We provide as a, an association convener accreditation, a list of accredited conveners um, on the website. We work to foster effective uh, public policy in this whole area as well, you know, across not just the justice system, but in more broadly in, in the community sector. So for people that are interested in ARJ, I mean, there's the ARJ website you can just check out. So, you know, aarj.org.au. Excellent. Thanks for Aliki. Just turning to restorative conferences uh, in the justice process, we understand these occur in a number of jurisdictions, including child protection, youth crime, and now family violence as well. Uh, in your view, what does a restorative conference offer that the adversarial system lacks? It's a good question. You know, in effect, a restorative approach is it could be understood as both a mindset and a skill set. So, you know, the fundamental sort of principles of restore, a restorative mindset have these, you know, aspects of do not do no further harm work with people where possible rather than do things to them or for them and work to set relations right. So state agencies have the authority generally to do things to or for people. Um, and that's where they have tended to, 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 to do that traditionally. And generally it seems lower risk in the short term and it's easier to tell people what to do or, or to do things for them. But we know that crime basically leaves a legacy of social harm, such that people affected are not at peace with themselves nor with others. And that there's a legacy of issues um, when people have been harmed. Because crime causes harm, a core requirement of justice should be to repair that harm, actually. And so that people most immediately affected should actually be supported in their search for reparation and healing. And members of a broader community, including professionals, can also participate so as to support repairing that harm caused and the healing that's required. So in the criminal justice system applications and civil applications, and we'll maybe talk to some of those in a moment, but a restorative process typically addresses the emotional conflict and other harm resulting from a particular incident that's you know, brought the case before the court as an example, and a carefully prepared and structured facilitated restorative process, what we call a group conference, and there's a number of different formats to that group conference, but it can support the people affected and those that have caused harm, so responsible for the harm, to actually work through what's happened 
how people have been affected, what can be done about the situation, and in effect transform conflict into cooperation. We this there tends to be this idea of setting right relations have been oversimplified um, in this field, and there can be this kind of simplistic understanding of restorative justice that's where someone's been harmed who's caused harm, that they express some remorse to those harm or then they receive forgiveness and then those affected can make up and they move on. But we know that life's not that simple, nor is restorative justice or the processes, let alone restorative practices. So when we talk about setting relations right, it can involve, may involve, being restored to something positive or relations um, may simply no longer involve intense conflict or relations may be formally ended and so effectively in a way that's constructive. Or they may be established between participants um, for the first time. So it's important to emphasise that this work of setting, resetting relations right, if you like, includes resetting relations with oneself as well. <laughs> so story practice has been shown to be able to address and transform intense intra-personal as well as interpersonal uh, conflict appropriately and effectively, such that people who have been profoundly affected by social harm can regain a sense of dignity, calm and relief, enabling them to get on with their lives. And it can also, if you like, it holds that an official response to crime shouldn't only respond to the specific incident of the harm that's caused, it should also work to prevent harmful behaviour from recurring and promote the well-being of those affected, as well as those people that have been responsible for harm, to actually learn from what they've done and hopefully, you know, and with good oversight and a good plan of action um, that comes out of a group conference process to support that person to make different choices because they've learnt lessons from what they've actually done and, and the harm that's been caused. And the... the um... The process you're talking about is it's very um, involved, very specific to um, you know, certain incidents and what have you. It's certainly a much more in-depth role than a mediator would play, for example. What kind of um, training do conveners, how, how does someone become a, a convener and what's the kind of process to understand dealing with um, the intricacies of human emotion, the sort of stuff that you've just touched on? Yeah, it's an important question and, and it's important that you know, we understand, and you're right to point out that the process itself is different to mediation. Mediation serves a really good purpose. Uh, it's basically mediation structured as a structured negotiation, generally between a couple of parties. And the group conference process is a process that's structured to actually, like, broaden the network of people that are involved. So for those people that have being affected by a situation, those people causing, you know, that, that kind of impact, as well as their social supports as well, and that includes professional support. So part of your question about, you know, it's helpful to think of conveners or facilitators that, that can be, that term can be used interchangeably in this, in this area of restorative justice and restorative practices. They have a range of qualifications and a range of life experiences some of which can be legal knowledge and mediation skills, all of which are helpful. 
Um, but working with people, as you're saying, requires a high level of skill on the part of the individual professionals, a better system of learning, because it's not just about the individual and their skills, if you like. It's actually a system of learning that supports them learning those ongoing and developing those ongoing skills, because this practice has evolved um, and continues to evolve, I mean, and that's a good thing, because we're learning from each program that we've developed you know, and across different case types. And that needs to be built into to then um, ongoing learning for facilitators and conveners. And we'll get the same thing. I'll use the word conveners just to separate the, um, the term from, from other facilitators in other practices. And then of course, there's this need when we're working with people, it requires a high level of coordination within and between agencies. And so there's a skill set around how you do that work. Generally speaking, key knowledge we teach includes sort of general theory about how conflict works, because unlike dispute resolution, as if you like, conflict um, involves intense emotional impact and expression that actually needs to be worked through, not somehow put aside. That doesn't work with human beings uh, who are in conflict. And the other aspect of that is that you know, we understand that conflict can be within a person as well as among people and within a system as compared to a dispute generally being between people. Whereas, you know, you don't say I'm in dispute with myself, but I can be in conflict with myself and what I'm doing. So that aspect of having a general uh, theory of conflict, as well as, as you were saying, uh, about affect, about feelings, about psychological sort of conditions by which people form certain pattern behaviours, scripted behaviours, as well as how things work socially and culturally. So part of the, if you like, key foundational skills that we teach are across sort of five areas. It's about being able to diagnose a situation accurately because you just can't apply a process, you know, the same type of way of working across all case types. Um, being able to just describe and define the proposed process of two participants. So we often call a, co a convener, if you like, a process consultant, because <laughs> what is it that's actually required uh, here uh, matters. Questioning that supports people to be able to recount their experience, so all people that have participated. Negotiation skills, which links you with the lawyers and, and the mediators as well, but being able to negotiate an outcome strategically that meets the best needs of all parties involved. And of course, being able to coach people throughout to reinforce constructive behaviour, ways of being able to engage the process, and if you like, redirect less helpful behaviour. So that's some of the, the skills. And if you like, with the well-administrated restorative program, it requires a kind of combination of case management framework that allows for a careful assessment of presenting issues and then matching each case with the appropriate process options. Because in many cases, there might be more than one process that's required for an effective response. So that aspect, again, of having that ability to have multiple skills to be able to assess and uh, negotiate and question effectively is, is really what part of the skill sets are. And as I said, it requires also uh, attention to the dynamic of group work. 
Um, so, you know, you are really working with individuals in preparation, but then you're working with a group to come together to be able to talk through in a very specific and very structured way uh, the issues that they've agreed to discuss and work with that group in order to, to facilitate that conversation in such a way that we can work through the issues to make, help people make sense of what's going on, to draw lessons from a situation that they've just been able to outline in, in detail and to then to be able to work through what it is they're trying to achieve and how they might be able to achieve it and make sure that everybody in that process feel that they have a voice, they've participated effectively and that they're part of you know, making sense of the situation as well as um, part of the solution to the situation. I want to add to, to that piece too that, you know, uh, it is essential that in effect that, that skill set is actually better understood and the skill set is understood in regards to what the process formats can be within this whole area because what we've found is that often you know, programs that understand the higher order skills that are required to administer a restorative program and actually facilitate restorative processes are ones that understand what those skills and processes are. And it's not always, and that also involves actually being able to have this sort of system of learning as mentioned that involves reflective practice and ongoing peer mentoring. But as we, you know, find um, not all programs necessarily uh, are set up with that kind of level of understanding. And um, some and of the areas where restorative justice is um, just sort of starting out are um, in cases where there's been um, sexual harm and family violence. And I understand you're linked with the Restore program at the Children's Court, which is in relation to uh, respondents to intervention orders. Just wondering if you can tell me about how Restore works in contrast to the criminal conferences in that jurisdiction. Sure. So the, I suppose the important thing to say up front is that the type of cases that come before the family division, so the civil division of the Children's Court, uh, usually it comes before the court much like what you might see in the Youth Justice Program. Um, in the criminal division, so a particular incident of harm may have happened that's brought the young person and the affected family member to, to the uh, civil division. But what the program has been set up to do is, which was set up in, in actually in August 2018, was to say we know that, that although there's this single incident of harm that's been brought before the court, it will be the tip of the iceberg of many things that have potentially happened over time within that family. And in fact, we need to make sense of the dynamic that's occurring within the family um, and a series of issues that may have happened over time to make sense of the particular case that's come before the court. We know that violence within the home or in a domestic abuse or whether it's by um, young people and or adults, they're complex cases. They involve a combination of issues which are often most effectively addressed 
combine in a series of group meetings and and potentially combine with other processes to provide interim support for the individuals involved. So the format of a group conference used for single incidents of undisputed harm in the youth justice group conferencing program is not the appropriate format in these types of cases where we know that there are issues that have happened over time and we need to make sense of what those issues are. If you like the underlying sources or the behaviour that's being um, displayed. And we need to make sense of some of the patterns that have may have formed within that family context and the family dynamics and relationships. So up front, there's different, if you like, different cases require different group conference formats that are tailored to each case. Because when we start to work with the young person and affected family members, of course, as we're doing that preparation work, we're finding out more and more about what's actually potentially happened over time. And the people that may best be able to be involved to make sense of what's been going on over time, as well as who might be able to provide insight into the situation of that family, as well as oversight for anything that we might agree to do that comes out of a, a group conference. So some of the dis, you know particular differences um, is that we're not just dealing with, generally speaking, a single incident of undisputed harm, number one. Um, there's more often poorly resolved incidents and a combination of presenting issues that we actually have to deal with. We've got family members with different knowledge or understanding of different incidents and issues and impacts. There's also the family dynamics and potentially past trauma experience that we need to understand and in, in a way address effectively. We know that in family violence matters, as it, you know, it's ongoing, potentially could have been ongoing abusive situation. There are ongoing relationships, unlike generally speaking, um, incidents within the youth justice group conference and criminal division. And we know key incidents have occurred over an extended period. Um, we know too, unlike with matters between potentially victims that have been harmed and those that are responsible for the harm who may be strangers, there's this need to kind of work with an extended network of support. And that may involve bringing in different family members it may involve that there's other issues at hand among siblings um, or even grandparents or there's been issues where certain um, family relationships have been ruptured because you know, certain family members may not have wanted to get involved in situations or didn't know how to get involved. So there's a there's sort of complex set of issues that we're trying to address and deal with. And generally speaking, unlike in the youth justice group conferencing process, there's more than one group meeting. And it may not mean that we, the, the first meeting even involves the young people um, that, that's come before the court. It may be that in fact, we're working with the adults, the, the affected family members and their community of care first to make sense of what's going on 
within the context of the home more broadly in order to ensure that there's a greater understanding of what we can then do with, with the young people involved as well. Excellent. Thank you so much, Leaky. I think we've used up all our time, but thank you. It's been really um, interesting and obviously you know your stuff and you're across it all, so it's really interesting to hear, hear about your experiences and your reflections on how restorative justice works in this system. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. That was an interview with Dr Aliki Vernon, Dispute Resolution and Restorative Justice Practitioner. And as Aliki mentioned, if you'd like to know more about the Australian Association for Restorative Justice, you can visit their website at aarj.org.au. There's a lot of great information on there, including information about restorative justice generally and restorative practices and links to finding accredited convenience.